Life is of a short duration, and so make sure that you're making decisions that don't put off what is important, be it travel or your family or your community. Uh, I think there's just a lot of ways that, to our detriment, we're encouraged to live less richly than we could be, uh, when in fact it doesn't cost that much to live richly. Welcome to The Drew Perlman Show. Think of this podcast as the antidote to the fear, the noise, and the talking heads in the news. The show features an entertaining blend of ancient wisdom, empowering ideas, and cutting edge, healthy living science to optimize your health and your life. Let's dive in and get started. Today's guest on the show is Rolf Potts. Rolf is the author of Vagabonding, Marco Polo Didn't Go There, The Ghetto Boys, and Souvenir. He has reported from more than 60 countries for the likes of National Geographic Traveler, The New Yorker, Sports Illustrated, The Atlantic, Slate.com, The Believer, National Public Radio, and The Travel Channel. So welcome to the show, Rolf. Good to be talking to you, Drew. So Rolf, you wrote the you wrote the best-selling book, Vagabonding, An Uncommon Guide to the Art of Long-Term World Travel. First of all, how are you handling this stay-at-home during the pandemic, and are you itching to travel somewhere? And if so, where? Well, I'm definitely itching to travel simply because, as usual, I had travel plans that were disrupted um, by COVID-19. Specifically, I was going to go to Italy and Switzerland. And of all the European places, I'm a little bit under-traveled in Italy, and I'm a little bit under-traveled in the Alps. So I'd like to get back to those places eventually. But as you know, vagabonding isn't just about travel. It's about the mindset of travel and the mindset that enables travel and about dealing with adversity and being creative and, and adjusting to difficulty. And this is a difficulty on a wide scale, you know, that I'm not able, like most people, I'm not able to, to make, put my travel plans in motion this summer. And so I'm sticking close to home. Um, I'm in rural Kansas, which where I've been, which is where I've been based for 15 years now. It's a comfortable place. Um, there's not a high concentration of the pandemic virus here right now. And I can sort of use my travel principles to travel on a much smaller scale in my own backyard. And so that's probably the best way that I've uh, adjusted to the pandemic era, which is very strange. And there's still so many questions in the air about when and how travel will resume. So I'm just trying to maintain that vagabonding attitude that I think can apply even when travel isn't literally what you're doing. When the pandemic eventually, you know, hopefully comes to an end um, and things start to normalize. I mean, do you see this event inspiring more, you know, long-term travel or do you see it as, you know, people giving way to the fear and traveling less? I mean, if you had to look to the future, Rolf, how, how do you see thing, things playing out over the next few years? Well, I, th I think it's going to be both, you know, that, that some people are going to really feel the thirst to travel and they're going to travel, they're going to figure out how to travel. Uh, and then some people who have maybe seen travel as sort of a consumer accessory, you know, something that they do during vacation, they might be a little bit slower to re-embrace travel. And that's fine. Um, but I think people who really have embraced the vagabonding ethic will find ways to make it happen. Um, that, you know, the travel industry has made a lot of things convenient. Airfares have been as cheap as ever in recent years. Um, Apps and websites have made it easy to book things in advance and find out about places. But people traveled before these conveniences. They traveled in creative ways before things got super cheap. And I'm really, I really think people for whom travel is a dynamic part of their life 
are going to figure out how to make it happen. And I think the travel industry will follow them. It's going to be the people who love travel who are kind of going to lead the way. And as an industry, travel will slowly recover as these travel lovers re-pioneer the places that we've already gotten used to traveling to. Um, Rolf, for anyone who hasn't read Vagabonding yet, and again, if you haven't, get out there and read it. Um, how, what is Vagabonding and how does it differ from just you know, run-of-the-mill travel? Well, vagabonding, as I define it in the book, is taking time off from your your normal life to travel in earnest for an extended period of time. Um, and that, that could be, you know, the subtitle is The Art of Long-Term World Travel. So it could be a year, but, you know, maybe you can only spare six weeks or maybe you can spare five years. Um, that basically you are treating travel not as an escape from your life, but as an active dynamic of your life. And it's actually in what I like to call time wealth concept I didn't invent, but I talk about a lot, which is basically the idea that we're all going to die someday and it's good to live our days on earth in such a way that we prioritize what we've dreamed about, what makes our life deeper and to not put things off. Um, that even if you can't travel tomorrow, well, you can start saving money so that you can travel in two years. Good thing to think about now when we can't travel for a couple, you know, who knows how long. Um, and so it's, just really about making travel a more dynamic and active part of your life, not really as a consumer option necessarily, but as something that can be an organic part of your yearly rhythm or a big part of your life in such a way that you make your dream trip happen so that you can make it happen in a slow way. So you're, you're not rushing through a place you've dreamed of in two weeks, but you might have six months to enjoy a certain corner of the world, be it um, Southern Africa or Eastern Europe or Eastern Asia, and um, really travel in earnest and, and save money and travel safe and have the time of your life. Beautiful. So Ralph, can you just talk about where you came up with this this vagabonding idea and this vagabonding mindset and, and, and approach to an approach to travel. I'd love you to just maybe dive into some of the ancient wisdom that you explore in your book as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that my concept of vagabonding, which, you know, the book is going to be 20 years in a couple of years, 20 years old in a couple of years, but I, I, I didn't invent it so much as sort of collect a lot of wisdom. Some of it specific to travel, some of it just specific to life about how to embrace your time wealth, make the most of the time you have on earth, and to travel if it's something that you dream about. And so these are ideas that go back to, to ancient scriptures. They aren't new at all. Not, they can apply not only to travel, but to uh, living through a, a pandemic, you know, just, just very old ideas about how sometimes you can't control everything in life, but you can control how you react to things in life, that you can choose to do with you can choose to be rich in time instead of rich in things. Sometimes we think we don't have enough time to travel. We don't think we have enough money to travel, but people with very little money have really amazing travels. It's just a matter of um, prioritizing it uh, to make it happen. And so I think I encompassed a lot of different wisdom. And I think, you know, um, when I was conceptualizing the book, there was a lot of books out there that said, like how to travel in terms of where to buy plane tickets, and, you know, where to get guidebooks to get more information about how to travel in certain places. What I didn't find out there, what was not available to me when I was first traveling, I had to figure out to myself was sort of that existential urgency that if you want to travel now, don't wait until you retire. Don't wait until American society gives you time to travel, that you can find ways to travel now. And that maybe, um, when you're young or when 
you're young-ish or just when you can is the best time to travel rather than waiting per, for permission uh, to make it happen. And then just just so many uh, literary and spiritual traditions talk about the idea of making the most of the time that you have now, not putting things off and just embracing that memento mori idea that someday you won't be alive anymore. So you should think of ways to be rich in experience rather than things and live a life um, that makes those days worth it. Rolf, who are, who are some of the authors that you go back to? I mean, I know you talked about Thoreau and some of the ancient, um, even Hindu scriptures in, in your book, but um, are there any authors that you go back to for ancient wisdom, um, for inspiration, or just for, um, you know, guidance through, you know, through this life? Uh, there's a lot of them. You know, I, 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 Walt Whitman, it wouldn't be called ancient, but the American poet Walt Whitman is just so inspirational just in the way that he thinks about the dynamism of wherever he is. And a lot of his poems address not only the joy of being in a place like Brooklyn, New York, but he's talking to people of future generations. He's saying, isn't this amazing? Isn't life such a dynamic, wonderful palette with which to um, you know, be creative? Um, then there's also, it's, it, it seems obvious, but there's parts of the Bible, Ecclesiastes, and parts of the Gospels. You were talking about the Hindu scriptures and the Upanishads. There's so many things that those ancient traditions have in common. You know, the, the, the Buddhist tradition says, you know, that, that, that suffering because the material world doesn't give you what you want is like suffering because, a, I'm going to misquote it, but like an orange tree doesn't mer- bear mangoes, right? Mm. Um, and then, you know, the, the Gospel in the Bible says that why worry uh, about things when the lilies of the field, they clothe themselves in beauty without even asking for it. So there's these these ancient traditions that sort of encourage us to not sink our life into material ends, but towards more spiritual ends. And I mean, sometimes you think, oh, well, does that mean I need to meditate on top of a mountain? Well, not really. As I talk about in Vagabonding, sometimes just embracing reality and, and getting the most out of every day, good things and bad things. Um, living a life that's less mediated, that's less mediated through a screen, be it a television or a smartphone. Um, and so there's very, it's like humans have been reminding themselves of what's important for a very long time. Um, I said that I didn't invent time wealth. Well, read the Stoics. They talk about time wealth. Read the Bible. There's a lot of time wealth in there too. Just the idea that life is of a short duration. And so make sure that you're making decisions that don't put off what is important, be it travel or your family or your community. Uh, I think there's just a lot of ways that to our detriment, we're encouraged to live less richly than we could be, uh, when in fact it doesn't cost that much to live richly. But if you if you were talking with someone who just, you know, said I I can't travel, I don't have enough money, I don't have enough. I mean, that seems to be a common a common theme with a lot of people. I mean, if someone was having coffee with you and and said that to you, I mean, what what would you say in 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 reply to someone who's like I'm putting things off because I don't have enough in my bank account? Well, I might say, well, how much did you pay for that coffee? You know, if it's a, if it's a special <laughs> Starbucks latte that costs $4 and 50 cents, you know, that's an expense that can be trimmed a little bit. Where are you having that coffee? Are you, are you living in, in the upper West side of Manhattan? Is, are, what are your daily expenses incurring on you? Because, and this is one thing I, I give to young travelers, especially you might dream of, you know, going to, to Tuscany and Italy. But maybe it's easier to afford going to Sumatra and in Indonesia or even Bali in Indonesia, which is a very touristed and slightly more expensive part of the world. That basically you can go to a place like um, a Rimba Eco Resort where I was in, in Sumatra a year and a half ago. I, it, it cost me $18 a day for everything, including all three meals. I had a beach. 
I had a hut on the beach that's basically the kind of beach that people dream of robbing a bank and retiring to. <laughs> I had three very healthy meals full of fruit and rice uh, and delicious, nutritious food. I was paying $18 a day for all of that. And so basically, if you don't mind going to less expensive parts of the world like India or Indonesia or Thailand, you can literally travel for cheaper than you're living day to day in Manhattan, New York or San Francisco, California, or even Houston, Texas, you know, so that you can use geography to um, travel in ways that is not just a consumer experience that you buy, but you travel in local economies, which actually benefits local people and not necessarily international corporations who do a nice job in the tourist industry. But why do you have to go to the five-star resort when you go to the guest house, which is the same place that people in India stay? When you go to the restaurant where local people eat their food and local people probably know their food a little bit better than the other tourists anyway. So um, that's where I start. I talk about how the economy of travel need not be exclusively a consumer thing where you're throwing money at your travels but where you're just sort of very strategically spending money on travels that are so much worth the small price that you're paying for them. Um, and I and I thought, you know, at least during this pandemic of the line from one of my favorite poets, the, the German poet Rainer Rilke, where he says that the only journey is the one within. And it seems that so much of vagabonding seems to be a shift in how we see the world. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about this inner aspect of vagabonding. I mean, since the world right now is, for the most part, stuck in their homes, how can we bring maybe the spirit of vagabonding, if it's possible, into our homes, into our hometowns? There's so much of travel that can be carried over into our day-to-day -day lives. One thing that travel gives us is the unexpected. It gives us a place that's different every day. Well, now we're living in a pandemic. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of unexpected going on. Um, and But then again, as the Stoics say, you can't control your circumstances, but you can control your reaction to the circumstances. And so I think that you can internalize an idea of travel, even if you're not traveling far, just by finding ways to be dynamic in where you live. I think one unhealthy default right now is that people are addicted to their screens. They're, they're catching the latest round of bad news. They're going on social media where people are sort of performing their anguish at the bad news. Well, the world is gonna, what's gonna happen with the pandemic is what's going to happen. Watching your screen probably isn't gonna make it better. So how about do something like going for a walk? Going for a walk can be an extraordinary way to experience a city like Paris, for example, or a place like Bangkok, where every time you turn a corner, something is new. Well, why not internalize a walk in your own hometown? Why not, why not walk down a street you usually don't walk down and see if you can surprise yourself? One great thing about walking is that it's its own form of thinking. It's unmediated experience, <laughs> unless you bring your phone and you're multitasking when you're walking, um, <laughs> that basically your thought patterns are freed from the, the, the patterns that they fall into when you're sitting in front of a screen or trying to write you know, a story or writing in your journal that basically through locomotion, through this very simple act that can make travel so amazing. I, I, I offer simple walks as a solution for people who are tired of tourism, who are tired of the long lines in front of the Louvre and the cliches of tourism. It's like, go for a walk anywhere in a new city and have your mind blown. Well, you can do that at home too. And it's something that I'm trying to do. You know, I'm in a very unsexy touristic part of the country, Kansas, but, um, and you know, my girlfriend and I like to hike in exotic places, but we've been researching hikes in Kansas. Um, and so I think at the end of the day, it's not 
your number one bucket list. It's not, you know, doing the Camino de Santiago. If you can't get to the Camino de Santiago, you can reap a lot of the same spiritual rewards of a long walk in your home, be it California or Kansas or Texas or wherever you are right now. Um, so yeah, I think that inner journey, if you realize that the inner journey is what counts, then you get a little bit less acquisitive and competitive about the outer journey. And you realize that those rewards can be found even in very humble and close to home trips and adventures. Um, so do you, aside from, uh, walking and hiking, do you have any daily practices that you use to kind of help keep you sane and centered and a bit more peaceful? I do. I I'm probably sloppy. Like I, I'm not, a. I mean, I know Tim Ferriss, so I'm maybe he's not even perfect with this, but I know that he's quite disciplined about daily routines and morning habits. I am less. So I like to journal. Um, I'm not a daily journaler right now. Um, I also like to exercise, be it walking or running or doing push-ups or lifting weights in the gym. I just think that physical aspect of life is good for your, not just your mental processes, but your mental health. Uh, and then reading, that's another big thing. None of these are very revolutionary, <laughs> but, um, engaging with the world, you know, especially in a, in a time of pandemic right now that in a way you can read a novel and sort of get into the empathy of someone who might be on the other side of the world. You might read a novel that's set in Africa and suddenly have an empathetic understanding or a higher understanding of people on the other side of the world. You can read a historical book that takes you back in time that in a way reading can be sort of a psychic travel. And I really love making that a part of my day. And I have very high reading ambitions. Again, I don't read as much as I'd like to, but it is something that really helps keep me centered. Actually, I'm gonna throw in too, I live close to my family. So the social aspect uh, for me, especially during the pandemic, I, I stay close, I live close to my elderly parents. Seeing them every day is a, a fun and centering part of my activity. And then when I have friends to visit too. So that I know that it's less possible to be social in the wide open way as before. But just having people that I see uh, regularly is another way that I can stay centered and stay mentally healthy even when I'm not traveling. Uh, Ralph, for anyone who's listening to the show right now who's feeling a little bit powerless, hopeless about their life and about their future, what might be one thing you'd recommend that they could do today possibly to begin to take their life in a new direction if you if you had to pick just one thing well giving yourself permission you know i think i think so often we think for whatever reason be it financial or because you know we think we have certain obligations to certain uh, professional or social situations that we we can't we put off our travels because of these pretexts that's really it's less a matter of saving a hundred thousand dollars or getting a new job with more flexibility than it is giving ourselves permission to within the constraints of the life that we're already living to do something we dream about like travel one thing that we're going through now with the pandemic when travel is less possible we're all on an equal footing you know even if you have a hundred thousand dollars to spend you're not likely to be traveling right now so we're all at the same starting line and so it allows us all to dream of travel and maybe and this is an advice that I gave even before the pandemic happened. If you don't feel like you could just set things down and fly around the world and travel tomorrow, make a goal to do it in two years. Well, given the pandemic, we might all be in that boat. So just decide that whatever happens, you've given yourself permission to do this, and it's something that's going to happen. And once you give yourself permission to do that, it becomes an active part of your life. It becomes a creative part of your life. And you think, huh, I'm not going to drink that $5 latte you know, because that is, that's two great meals in Thailand. 
And so I'm going to save that. I'm going to sock that away from my travel fund. And I know that, um, that someday that those travels are going to happen. And so then, then basically you become in conversation. Once you have permission to travel, you become in conversation with your future self in a way that can really make your day to day much more enriching and much less anxious than it can be at a time when we're glued to headlines and all the headlines are bad. Mm, love that. Love that idea of giving yourself permission. Um, Rolf, this is my final question. I've, I asked this to everyone and I'd love to ask it to you too. Um, if you had the opportunity to travel back in time, say 30, 35 years, what words of, what words of wisdom might your current self share with the younger Rolf Potts? Well, it's funny that you bring that up because I often say that vagabonding in its purest is a letter to my 17-year-old self. Um, I didn't literally say that in the book, but it assuaged a lot of the anxieties I had when I was younger, which I think are a lot of the, the anxieties that we all have. It's that stuff, give yourself permission. It's not as expensive as you think, and it's so much richer than you think. And if I was to boil it down to one kernel that's been on my mind recently, it's that Whatever you think is going to happen, whatever you can plan about a journey with all the online resources that are available right now, you're going to be so much smarter after a week or a month or six months on the road. You're going to be able to find things and learn things that are so much better than any bucket list or top 10 list that motivated your travels to begin with. So just patience, permission, and the optimism that that comes with knowing it can happen and knowing that you don't have to be a rich person to do it. And so so truly, so many of those core vagabonding principles, I think of my very anxious and nervous 17-year-old self when I think about those because he'd be so happy with what I've discovered since then just because I was willing to put myself out in the world to make mistakes and learn as I go. And that's advice I'd give to anyone. Rolf, thank you so much. It's been an honor. It's good talking to you, Drew. Do you have any travels planned yourself? Well, I mean, you 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 inspired uh, my son and I last summer. We took a trip to France and we traveled around all over the country, starting in Paris, but we went down to um, Provence. We went into the Alps, uh, Lyon, and we we had a great adventure. And in your book, certainly was a big inspiration. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm ready to get back. Uh, it's time to find a new uh, a new place. Yeah, and, and there's so many great places. France is one of those places that I was in Paris for years. Once I rented a car and just drove south. What a beautiful place, you know. And and it's just that's a metaphor for every place. You just have to once you commit yourself and you and you see all these places that are available. It's just so rewarding. Uh, so that's good to hear. I'm I'm the same boat as you. I don't know where I'm going yet, but I'm excited wherever it's going to be. Thank you for listening to The Drew Perlman Show. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. In the words of Mark Twain, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than the things you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, and catch the trade winds in your sails. Explore, dream, discover, and stay well, everyone. 